Welcome to 51 First Dates. I'm Liza. And I'm Kimmy. And we are doing an experiment. And talking about dating. And love. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Cheers. Cheers. Hi, everybody. I'm Liza. And I'm Kimmy. And this is 51 First Dates, a podcast about dating where we start with the cheers. I had some ice tinkling, tinkling, not tinkling, clinking, Liza. It, it was a throwback to our earlier days when we I would saw drink. it. Yeah. I saw a little jalapeno and a little glass of pretty something. Is that a little jalapeno slice? A li- yeah, a little spicy margarita made, whipped it up in a moment. I feel proud of myself. Beautiful. I'm um I'm jealous. I'm being like I'm having like well, I'll tell everyone about this. It's not that interesting in my consumption corner, but I'm like trying to drink once a week and it Ooh. is you know, bad. I don't know. It sucks. It's healthy. <laughs> it's great. I'm proud of you. If you are new here or if you're old here, welcome. Thank you for being here. Uh we are a podcast that once was about going on 51 first dates. Um yeah. We also have a very exciting episode today. Um, We have Gina Maffa on. She's a therapist, a writer. She's just a really incredible expert on grief, on trauma. We were so lucky to have her. She joined us very last minute. We were like really like down to the wire and she was an angel. So we're very grateful to her for many reasons. Yes, we had like the most amazing talk with her. She's so smart. She's so cool. She uh, is just a, a therapist dream human. And um, we, yeah, we talked all about how trauma and grief kind of comes into play when you're dating. Um, I think this is a really, really great conversation. I've had I had several like, ooh, wow, aha moments. Yes. So I hope you guys really I think you guys are going to really like it. Yeah, I'm very let us know. But I think, you know. We get such good feedback whenever we have a professional, an expert on, but especially therapists. So let us know um, who else you want to hear from. I'm like very pro the therapy guest train. We love therapy here. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's our a big part of our personal brand. Um, so what else? What else? Guys, if this is your first episode, we are a dating podcast. I'll do a quick, I'll do the quickest. Ready? Time me. Um... Kimmy, we started this podcast with Kimmy going on a bunch of dates. She met her lovely boyfriend going on those dates. And now we have guest daters and we are interspersing our our main current main guest dater, Carlin, with episodes with expert um, experts, smart people, interesting people who have have things to say about dating. Um, and uh, that is our podcast. That was beautiful. Like 15 to 20 seconds, I think. Yeah. 20 um, seconds. I was looking. 20. Well, actually, everyone will be able to double check me, but it was about 20 seconds. I'm proud of you. Yeah. It was very good. Perfect. Um, and yeah, we're also starting a new series, a new a new segment called Dating a D- Dating Detective. Uh, so if you have like mystery dating scenarios where you never figured out what happened or you're in a mystery dating scenario where you can't figure it out, you don't know what's going on, you don't know why someone's acting the way they're acting, et cetera, et cetera, send us a scenario. And we might talk about it on the podcast. You can do that at 51firstdatespod at gmail.com or on our secret Facebook group. You can also follow us on Instagram at 51firstdatespod or subscribe to our Substack, which all of that is linked below. Our Substack is a weekly newsletter. And it's, I don't know. I feel like we really get into our feels there. Liza and I don't write it together. 
And I, I says the girl with the podcast, I personally just do better writing. I feel like I can just like get into it and share a little more clearly. I tend to speak quickly. Uh, it's cool that we're almost at 200 episodes and I'm still like I can't speak on a microphone, but yeah. You know, I think it's part of our charm that we can't speak on microphones <laughs> 200 episodes now. I think we're doing great. Um, yeah. Precious Gems is just really fun. That's our Substack, our, our newsletter. Um, I wrote this week about my own personal dating detective, which is uh, a closed case now. But it's a story I've referenced on this podcast in enormous amount, but I've never actually like told because I don't want to be disrespectful or insensitive to the person it's about. But I felt okay doing it on our Substack because it's for subscribers. You can't like Google it and see it on the internet. Um, so if you want to hear the long version of a story I reference constantly, please go ahead and subscribe. <laughs> I'm pitching so hard right now. I don't know why. Liza, you might be able to Google it and see it on the internet. I don't know, but we have to figure oh. that out. I mean, you know, I used a pseudonym and I didn't say, this is the thing is like, I didn't say anything. I, I would feel fine if this person read it. I actually like, I don't, you know. I'm not being super disrespectful, but it's mostly just like a you're very not. vulnerable story. You're not. You're just so being, you're being you're telling a story that. Yeah. No, no, no. I didn't mean it in that way. I just meant like, I think I well, well, subscribe anyway. I'm not sure if you can yeah. just Google Let it. Let us know it. <laughs> if you can just look at it. Hashtag um, grandmas. OK. Yeah, completely. We did it. We did it, Joe. All right. Oh, and if you join, if you subscribe to our Substack, you can get the uh, links and breakdown of our consumption corner that we now do weekly, which started in COVID, but it's just what we're watching, reading, seeing, listening to. Yeah. Shall we do it? Shall we get into consumption corner and then Let's go to Gina? Let's fucking do it. Amazing. Liza, what are you consumptioning? <laughs> okay, I have two things. You know that I like to go see every movie ever that is directed by a woman. So I went to see Zola <gasps> in theaters and uh, everybody should go see it. Yeah. Did you it's, love it? Have you seen it? I saw it. At, have you seen it? Uh, this is not. This is going to make me sound cooler and douchier than I am. I saw it at Sundance in 2020 where I feel like I got COVID. But that was a long time ago. Yeah. People were like, it's funny because I remember like people were freaking out about it at Sundance. I will say like I really liked it. I didn't love it. But I do think everyone should see it. It was really fun. I agree 100%. It's yeah. it, for, if you're unfamiliar it is based on a viral twitter thread which is almost like okay we're in end times here but i think yeah janixa bravo the director does a great job with a twitter feed it's 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 very well done um and i i haven't i wanted to go see it in theaters and i will now Liza. i haven't been back to a theater and i really want to go i'm scared though it was really now. fun i yeah i mean i i saw it in like the the theater was pretty much empty, so I like took my mask off, and so it was like a, a situation where I felt okay. But um, it was it was great to see a movie in a the in the theaters. I'm like a a movie you know a movie slut, and uh, it really that made it so much more fun. Um, I think that the the Twitter I would also really recommend everyone to read this Twitter mm -hmm. thread um, because the woman who wrote it, whose name it her her <laughs> spoiler alert, her stripper name her dancer name is Zola. Um, I think her real name is like Isaiah King, maybe. Mm -hmm. But she's just an incredible writer. Like the Twitter thread is so funny and so, I mean, it's like so tight and funny. And there's just like, it's just actions, twists, turns, whatever. And I almost wanted the movie to be a little like faster. But yada, yada, yada. I'm nitpicking. It was so fun. I really would recommend it. 
And the other thing I'm watching is I just started The Nick, which <gasps> have you seen that? I haven't, but everyone loves it. Oh, shit. It's one of those things where I started and I was like, how have I not watched this yet? Like, love Steven Soderbergh. It's set in 1900 in New York, which, like, hello, is, like, so fucking cool. I think they filmed a lot of it here. Like, I love shit in old New York. I think it's so cool that I'm here today watching, like, this, you know, show that took place 120 years ago in the same place. Um, It's really good. They are – it is gory. Not, like – it's about the invention of surgery or, like, very early days of surgery. And they get – real fucking egregious with some surgical (laughs) shit so if you are squeamish with that like it's I'm not squeamish but like after watching an episode I was gonna go eat dinner like right after and I found that I had no appetite which is a big deal for me to not be hungry and like I'm not just typically squeamish about that kind of stuff okay that is okay that makes me feel some things I feel a little nervous about that but okay okay yeah I think the pilot so far is, like, especially agreed. Like, I think they go overboard in the pilot. There was, like, one scene where I was like, oh, it's the It gets a little bit more tame after that, but okay, I am only, like, four episodes in. Well, I'm excited. Is that HBO? It's on, yeah, it's on HBO. I think it was, like, Cinemax or something. Really random. Oh, interesting. But it's on HBO Max right now okay, for cool. whatever reason. Um, yeah. Very cool. What about you? Oh, mine will not be as elevated. Uh, so I have a show that I've been really excited to share with you, Liza, and I don't know if you'll like it as much as I did, but it combines um, some of my loves, including, you know, real estate reality and French people. So have you watched L'Agence or or it's called The Parisian Agency or something? Oh, my God. Okay, I watched the first 10 minutes of this show, but I was sleepy. It was, like, at okay. the very end of the night, and I couldn't keep up with the subtitles because I was starting to, like, doze. So I stopped it and was like, I have to come back to this because I was so into it. And that was, like, two or three weeks ago, and I just forgot. But I'm going to watch it literally tonight. It's basically selling Sunset, only instead of those kind of creepy twins, they are a family with four boys. One is too young to be an agent, but, like, they live in Paris. They sell cool homes. It's shot like nice, like Selling Sunset. Did you feel that way? You know better than I do, but it feels yeah, like, yeah, those reality shows that great. are glossy and oh, the totally. homes and the French. Well, Netflix also uh, shoots all their, so like, did Netflix make it or did they acquire it? I feel like they made it for their whole, they're having this France okay. push. I don't know, but it feels to me that way because, because I, I started following the family on Instagram. <laughs> Or like the agency that the family owns. Uh-huh. And they're posting about it. Like it feels very Netflix made this. They're doing yeah. a push into France. Yeah. Totally. Because Netflix shoots all of their reality shows in like the type of quality that studio movies are shot. Yeah. In. Like they shoot their reality shows in like 4K, like ultra HD. Like they really, really, like they put the dankest cinematography into their reality shows. And whoever's idea that was, was like chef's kiss. It's so satisfying to watch. I highly recommend it and would say that like it's it's a quick watch too it's just six episodes I think but the family's so sweet if you've ever wanted to practice your French in your life I think that listening to French is you know because I've talked about call my agent on here right yes I've definitely talked about that um, yeah and Lupin a little bit so, what what and Lupin and Lupin yeah right we've got all the oh, French Lupin? shows god damn it oh, Lupin I was trying right. to say it cool. you crushed it I probably messed it up. 
Uh, but anyway, I highly recommend it. And the guys are cute and their family's so cute. And like, I don't know. It's, it was fun. And then, I don't know. I have nothing of quality. I will just say that I finally got to season three of, finally, I'm binging it. Summer House, Bravo, the show about the Hamptons. I got to season three, which is where I feel like where I, I get like, oh, this is a very good reality show. The stakes are very mm. high. There's like cheating. It's like, whoa. I, I I have had a lot of fun watching that show. So I'm just going to go That's out there a and good, recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because I was um watching, you know, I was watching season 12 of Real Housewives of New York, not season 13, which I is the season that just ended, which I know is very bad. I'm not going to bother. You shouldn't bother. It's I, I'm, I'm quitting. Yeah. I think it still has episodes coming. I'm just quitting. It's too... There's like drama. They push the reunion back. Like they're not even filming the reunion because it's like everyone hates it and like all this yeah. stuff. But um, because of Roni season 12 and also I was talking to a friend the other night who whose family has a house in the Hamptons and she was talk. She was telling me about a night out in the Hamptons, like a particularly hilarious night out in the Hamptons where she was the old she was you know 34 and she was the only person in her 30s and like all these like underage kids got kicked out of a club and then the club was empty and like just like a hilarious story about the Hamptons and I was like I want to watch some Hamptons content so maybe I'll start that too it's good it's like full the first I feel like it gets better and I had heard whatever the last season was I don't know if it's for it's on Peacock too so you can just sign up and watch it um but I heard how good the last season was so I I think like Season one, two, okay, okay. And then it it just got like very good. Very good reality mm. TV where I'm like, what's going to happen? I, I think. Yeah, I think. fun. Tell me if I'm wrong, but I, I think it's good. <laughs> Love that. Needed in my life always. All um, right. We did it. Well, there is your uh, like lowbrow from me talking about Roni and whatnot. Now, I feel like it's always funny. We transfer from like Highbrow, lowbrow. usually me yeah. being like, Hey, like this is the garbage reality TV I'm consuming into like, and now our very smart guest. Yes, but you crushed it on your consumption this week. We did high, we do high brow, low brow. We do a combo, and then we have a very high brow guest. <laughs> so welcome to it. That's the vibe. Uh, we are so excited for you to hear our conversation with Gina. She's so cool. Go follow her Instagram as well. It's she's just Gina Maffa. She's an LCSW. She's so. She's got really good reminders for your your life and how you're living it and reminders around, you know, sadness and grief. Have her on your feed, but also listen to this conversation. You'll fall in love with her too. Uh, I think that's it, Liza. Yeah, we're going to take a real quick ad break and then we'll be back with Gina Maffa. Okay, we are so excited to be joined by Gina Maffa. Gina, thank you so much for coming on. I've got to just, you know, let everyone peek behind the curtains. You joined us very last minute, and this episode will be released very soon, and we're just so excited and grateful to have you. So thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here and that it worked out. Yes. Truly thrilled. Uh, We were telling Gina before, I'm sure we already talked about this in the intro, but I was just going to be like, let's just talk about The Bachelor, which nobody wants to hear because, like, you guys are all tired of The Bachelor and everyone's tired of The Bachelor. This is better. Gina is um, incredibly smart, cool, and uh, we're going to talk about a ton of stuff today. But Gina, let me just start by asking you our one of our little icebreaker topics, uh, icebreaker questions. What do you can you tell us a little bit about your relationship to relationships? Like 
kind of how you were raised to think about relationships, how it's evolved, how the type of relation the, the type of role relationships play in your life broadly. Yeah, sure. I mean, well, uh, I'm a therapist, so <laughs> that that means that I had some kind of issue with relationships at some point in my life, right? Um, no, I I grew up in a very Italian um, household, and a lot of communication was more acted out. And, you know, and relationships were always really funny to me because it always felt very obligatory. Um, you know, being a girl and becoming a woman, there were a lot of expectations. And so, um, you know, so I felt very that I wanted to be very independent in my life. Um, but, you know, relationships are like the cornerstone of humanity, right? So like, we want to be around people all the time. And, um, always look to build and connect relationships. Um, I re remember watching Castaway <laughs> and like watching Tom Hanks, you know, even, even alone on an Island, you know, he, he had, he needed his, he had this compulsion for company, you know, whether it was Wilson or whatever. Um, so it's kind of like that, you know, and being a relation and being a therapist, I mean, my entire work is about relationships, whether it's, you know, talking about relational trauma or whether it is, you know, people having really struggling with their relationship with themselves. So uh, yeah, so it's a complicated, but very rewarding relationship to relationships. If I can say that very long windedly. No, you said it wonderfully. And we apologize for the cheesiness of the term or the phrase relationship to relationships. But I think, you know, we are very pro therapy on this podcast. Um, and I think it's, it's so interesting to hear about kind of anyone's relationship to relationships, but especially to your point, a therapist, you've made a career out of, you know, hearing about relationships and learning about human relations. Um, I know that mm -hmm. your career started, I believe, in trauma therapy first, correct? And then you, you know, got more into grief and did grief training. Um, is that correct, Gina? That's right. Okay. So I would... That is. Yeah. And I think like, you know, I'm a pretty negative person. I'm like, I'm... <laughs> you know, I, I throw those words around in ways I probably shouldn't. So just before we dive in, I'm curious if you can kind of share a little bit of like the differences between trauma and grief as it pertains to the work that you do. Sure. Um, well, you know, trauma is an event. So it could be any event really that causes psychological, physical, emotional, mental harm. It could be death. It can be abuse. It could be little traumatic events like neglect, um, and, you know, or bullying, that kind of thing. It's really relational too. So it could be even witnessing your caretaker, your parents, you know, fighting all the time. Um, you know, like I just said, bullying, any kind of uh, sexual abuse or sexual assault. I mean, it is an event. Now, it is a loss also. 100% of the time, a trauma is a loss. Um, you know, if somebody was abused, that's a loss. You lose your trust. Um, whether you want to call that event a trauma or a loss, that's up to you, obviously. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, you've lost so much. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it impacts every part of you. So now grief in general is just a normal and natural response to that loss, right? And it affects us also physically, mentally, spiritually, that kind of thing. Basically, I say it all the time. It affects you in every way. I personally think grief affects your body just as much as trauma does. Um, but grief in general, not everybody who grieves has trauma or is traumatized by it. 
I happen to think that after COVID, you know, I have a lot of clients I'm working with right now who um, have lost family members to COVID and that is a traumatic loss. Mm -hmm. So I'm sensing that more and more people are experiencing grief as a trauma. Um, it's not 100% of the time, but a trauma is 100% of the time a grief. Um, and it is very subjective too. So I'm not sure if that answers your question, but I hope it does. Oh, no, it definitely does. Um, thank you. I know it's, I've asked you to define two words, but that was really helpful. I think that, quite frankly, I haven't always thought of trauma and grief as interconnected as they are. It's, in the, it's very, very upsetting and tragic. But the point you make about COVID and, you know, the trauma of some grief versus other grief is, is really interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I think a lot of people haven't thought of, you know, trauma as, you know, like since COVID is still with us in so many ways, um, you know, people are still losing so much. And it may not just be a person. It may be that their relationships have changed. It may be that they've lost a job or their livelihood. It may be that they're grieving, you know, the identity or the life or the milestones that they haven't gotten to to live out. Um you know, there's so many things, jobs that maybe fell through. There's so much loss to sift through since 2020. Um, and people were obviously suffering much before that too, you know, and trauma is such a funny little animal because, you know, it's been around since the seventies, but it wasn't really until September 11th that Americans really even knew what PTSD was. And it was that at that point, you know, not just New York city, but a real American event. Um, that people were dreaming, ruminating, you know, having all sorts of physical, uh, physiological reactions to it that were finally then defined as trauma. And obviously at that point too, there was grief, <laughs> much, much grief, you know, who we were as a country. And so much of that continues to shift as America redefines itself, you know, both racially and otherwise. Um, so so we're, we're continuing to learn really about trauma uh, collectively. And grief. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. So many times in in therapy for me this year, I've been like, why am I um, too anxious to sit down and read a book? And my therapist has just been like, because this year has fucked with you. I mean, she says it better than that, but it's basically like, you know, we're all, we've all been thrown for a loop by this year. It's coming out in different ways. Like you can't read a book like there, you know, it's, it just, that is what it is maybe for now. Mm -hmm. um, You're surviving. Yeah. Yeah. And our habits have changed or, you know, I, I have a hard time focusing on, on books and I'm usually a big reader and it's just a small thing. People have lost loved ones and whatever, but it's like these tiny things where you're like, why? And yeah, it's been obviously quite a year, <laughs> even yeah. for people like me who have had, you know, relative um, luck and health and haven't lost anyone. Right. But you're now you're comparing and <laughs> you're, oh. you're comparing and minimizing, sorry to be a therapist, but you are minimizing the fact that you lived in fear, right? There's a loss of a sense of safety. There was this invisible killer, so to speak, or, you know, invisible monster that was coming. We had no idea what it was, where it came from, how long it would last. So many of us thought it was going to be two weeks, right? Mm -hmm. We didn't think it'd be still going on almost two years later, um, you know, and if I were to be real with you, trauma, <laughs> which you were going through, it causes activation of the amygdala in your sympathetic nervous system, which is really just your body saying, should I fight? Should I run? Or should I stay still? 
And that means to me, like, how could you actually read, which means that your brain is relaxed and able to take in information when you're in survival mode. So be gentle with yourself, please. Have compassion if you're still one of those people like Liza who can't sit down and concentrate on something. It's going to take time. Yeah. Or all the various ways. I mean, I feel like every time I talk to a friend, they're like, I just can't do this anymore. They're, we're, yeah, everyone's having the reactions they're having. I'm going to make a real effort not to say anything else minimizing of myself in this conversation. <laughs> all right, good. I don't want to call when you I feel out. the impulse. Okay, cool. Um, okay, great. Thanks. <laughs> it needs, I probably need someone to be like, eh? um, so let's talk a little bit, if you don't mind, about uh, trauma and grief also, but I think potentially trauma comes into it a little bit more as it relates to dating broadly. Um, how do you, how do you um, see these things play out in uh, the people you work with? How do you think we carry our traumas into dating? And how do you think we can kind of know when we're um, in a healthy place to date? Sorry, I just piled four questions on you. No, no, no. They're great questions. Um, you know, trauma is messy. <laughs> dating is messy um, on, on good occasions. So I'm like, when is, when is dating not messy when things are great? So now you're bringing in a big suitcase of past painful events, right? But I will say this, um, everybody has experienced trauma in some way. So if you think you can't date because you've got too much baggage and there's so much uh, you know, unresolved pain or you know, grief or whatever, think again, think again. Um, you know, trauma is obviously subjective. So what feels traumatic to you and how you react to something, you know, someone else may not understand that or whatever. But I will say this, you know, you, you have to know yourself the best. <laughs> so if I'm not saying you have to be a totally whole healed person in order to try to date, but I will say that if you are going in there with, you know, fear, if you're going in there with, you know, a lack of hope, <laughs> if you're going in there with mistrust, you know, basically you know, people go into relationships like sort of searching for the red flags. And then some people are playing the game, like how red can the flag get, you know, and that's all your, your triggers, right? So I would say this, know yourself as best you can know kind of where your, where your triggers lie, get to know them, get to know what your purpose for dating is, right? Know why you're dating, why, you know, why now, if you've got grief, um, you know, I have a client who recently lost her husband um, and is in her 30s. And she's like, you know, I never know when to say I'm a widow. Mm. I never know what to say. So now I have this really terrible trigger that comes up that I can't say anything when people ask about my, my relationship status or my past relationships. And she says, you know, I had this one guy say, you know, oh, that's terrible. Now you're going to compare every person to this guy, Right. Um, well, that's helpful, not, <laughs> um, you know, and so I'd say this, you know, that's why I say know yourself well, like if it if the person isn't worthy of sharing who you are, what you've been going through and all of your trauma, don't go, you know, yeah. it's okay to give yourself time to heal and process like you don't have to jump into another relationship or jump into dating. Um, but if you find that you're ready to, 
then it's really important to go in there with deeper self-understanding and compassion for all of it, for yourself and the person. Um, and, you know, because, because it is clumsy, humans are just clumsy yeah. in general. <laughs> yeah, we are. Oh boy. I feel like of late, I really feel that when I just look at Twitter, which I shouldn't do. Uh, but yeah, I think that's so interesting and uh, tragic about your client. I, you know, when you explained her story in a very different way, I related, I lost my mom four years ago um, after a, she had a long battle with breast cancer. And of course, mm. you know, tragic and grief was terrible. But I remember getting really weird because we started this podcast not long after on dates and thinking about when to share that with people. I then went to grad school and felt sometimes like I didn't want to burden people by even saying, you know, my dad versus my parents, because my parents would come out sometimes. I don't know. Um, or, yeah. you know, to your client's story, not wanting to, you know, have someone have that terrible reaction that one guy did. I'm just curious from your perspective how we as daters um, who are grieving or maybe who are just dating in the world and, of course, may encounter people who have suffered trauma or grief, how we can kind of be more mindful of it or normalize it? This is not a super easy question to answer, but I guess, you know, how to navigate those moments where you're either, one, afraid of sharing your grief or your trauma, and then, two, how to be open when you're on the receiving end of something like that or open-minded. Yeah. I'm so sorry for your loss, too, because I lost my mom four years ago oh, I'm so after sorry. a battle with cancer, too. So I'm I'm feeling a kindred spirit right here with you. Yeah, it's a terrible um, club that we have become a part of. Yeah, it certainly is. And, you know, you only have one mom, so that makes it even more traumatic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I will say this, you know, I'm sure that you have days where you don't want to talk about it and days where you want to yell from the mountaintops mm -hmm. that you've lost your mom and you've had this big you know, this big, and I call it a trauma because I do think depending on your relationship with your mom, that losing a mom is a trauma. Um, especially physically, your body sort of knows that its mothership is no longer here. Um, but I will say that it's really kind of what I said earlier about getting to know yourself yeah. is really having that compassion to sort of trust yourself that when you say something, you're going to be ready to say it. Right. Um, I remember saying I was going to visit my dad and I didn't want people to think my parents were divorced as opposed to the fact that my mom had just passed. <laughs> and, you know, and, and so it's, and I do this for a living. Okay. Yeah. And so it's like, well, then I have to ask myself, what, what am I running away from? Am I adding to the stigma? Right. So in order to feel more comfortable, we have to do things more. We have to practice it more. And it is, really uncomfortable. <laughs> it really is. But we don't really have another choice but to show up. Now, this is if we trust people, right? Mm -hmm. If you're if you trust people. Now, I would say if it's a if you're just telling a story to somebody you don't know and you want to not mention your your mom died, then that's absolutely your your choice to do that, right? But then don't try to skirt around it. <laughs> because you're going to just make yourself feel worse. That's what will happen when you try to then say, well, how do I not just say I'm going to my dad because that triggers me because my parents always came to visit me. Then you actually then make yourself feel worse. So then I would say, is it worse to say your mom is no longer with you or not? 
And that's a really personal choice. Um, but I do think that sometimes we could be robbing ourselves from getting compassion and empathy from other people that I think we so desperately need and that this world so desperately needs. And you never know when other people could say, hey, you know, I lost my mom too. Thank you for sharing that because it feels so isolating and lonely sometimes. And so I think that's food for thought, you know? I think on the, on the opposite end of it is there's no, there's no real right thing to do or say mm -hmm. except, except to just show up. And so many people, you know, I remember saying, somebody saying to me after my mom died, well, heaven gained another angel or she's not suffering, right? And all those platitudes just end up in a trap and nobody feels better with them. Um, so I'm against platitudes, I'm anti-platitude, but I am very much pro showing up as you. And so sometimes that means like, damn, I'm really sorry to hear your mom died, like that sucks. And I don't have any idea of what to say or how to show up for you, but I just care. And I just want you to know that and whatever you may need, I'm here. You wanna talk about her, I'm here. And, um, and if you don't, that's cool too. Yeah. Uh, I, it's such good advice. Um, thank you for kind of indulging my very personal example, but, um, and I, yeah. It's so hard to not see you when I'm saying that because I'm looking into your eyes. And so I'm so sorry. No, I'm so sorry. I had to turn it back on. <laughs> yeah. I have to turn it back on and look at you. Oh, thank you. And I'm so sorry for your loss too. And it is, um, it's, yeah, it's, interesting that now that I shared this we uh, there's some bond sorry Liza no no not not, not to say <laughs> oh boy I mean, uh, see I'm so graceful I'm, around grief clearly uh but who is graceful around not, grief but that's what I really like about what you just shared is just about you know rather than platitudes or saying the perfect thing it's about being yourself it's about showing up and I think this could take a lot of different forms and in responding to different traumas or, or grief or pain that your your partner or someone you're newly dating um, or someone you met on a podcast is going through or has gone through. So, yeah. I really, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Dating, dating and grieving and dating and trauma is really tricky in general because I do think that we have to know ourselves or at least take the time to get to know ourselves and what our needs are because – there are landmines all over the place in relationship and especially new relationships when you don't know the other person and you don't know what will set them off. You don't, you don't know what, what can hurt them, what can make them feel slighted. And so in a way we have to go into that dating sort of not expecting people to mess up, but having compassion for those landmines for both ourselves and the other person, because there's a process, you know, whether we've just broken up with somebody or we've lost somebody physically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's remind, it, it's very, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it's very evocative just to hear you talking about, yeah, those, those early relationship days and the fears that are surrounding it when you don't know somebody else's like, I, jokingly, I feel like you know, on this podcast would be like, okay, what's their baggage? But it's, I don't think, I don't think baggage is a bad word. I think just we all have our, our um, the things we bring. Do you, um, how do you feel uh, 
this is I, I could not be being less I could not be less eloquent right now. Even in me saying that it was ineloquent. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about when that trauma that we bring into a new relationship is about our past relationships. And I think that it might be helpful to even talk a little bit about the kind of like bigger T trauma when we've been in emotionally abusive relationships, physically abusive relationships. Um, I think a lot of times we see people who aren't in relationships that they can term abusive, but they're very controlling. Or we talk to people who have been very controlled by their former partners. Um, Starting a new relationship after one that was maybe, maybe traumatic in whatever way, how do you think people should go into that protect themselves but also be vulnerable in the way you have to be when you are starting to date someone sure i mean look i believe in the power of discernment 100 of the time Mm -hmm. you know i also believe that if you've come out of an abusive horrifyingly terrible relationship um, my hope is that you have given yourself some time to do the work to grieve to process to do the the therapy, so to speak, or whatever works for you, um, of looking at and unpacking those emotions, the triggers, like I talked about before, understanding those red flags and what they mean to you, understanding your attachment style, all of the things that come into play with how you even um, attract a relationship, right? Sometimes we're really into the familiar and the familiar might be really, really fucking bad for us. Mm-hmm. And so that's because that's so comfortable to us. So with therapy or things that I do in my work, right, is to really help point out what are those patterns in you that attract you to that? What, what are the things, what are the, what's the modeling? If you had abusive parents that were abusive towards each other, now you've known that to be normalized behavior. It's going to be something that you unconsciously seek out because it's familiar. Not all the time, but a good number of the times. Um, so I would say that, you know, my hope is now, obviously as a therapist, I'm like, tell me more. I want to know the variables. How much time are you guys waiting in between relationship, right? If you're just jumping from relationship to relationship, looking for a better person and a better partner, whilst you haven't changed at all and you haven't looked at any of your stuff and you keep wondering why you're attracting this bad, you know, this bad guy or this bad woman or whomever, then there's a lot to look at within you. And that's, that's sort of your self-responsibility, right? You are now responsible for helping and healing yourself and not bringing this in because when we change the people we attract changes. Yeah. Oh, it's such a good reminder. Just again, to hear you state it so clearly, it's like, it all feels so simple sometimes, but it's so hard to notice that it's so complicated. You know, it's, yeah, I mean, you, you, why am I saying, you know, you absolutely know you work with clients every day. Um, I'm curious, you know, kind of on the flip side of that, and Liza, I'm curious your thoughts as well. Um, But sometimes I think about you know, we get questions about relationships that weren't necessarily or were not traumatic in a traditional sense at all, or, you know, were short-lived or, but still were really upsetting or ghosting early on. Um, I'm curious if you have thoughts on how you should quote unquote grieve that, or if there should be no quotes around it, or if they should, there should, but thinking about those patterns of 
you know, jumping to the next thing that looks the same because you're not spending time with yourself, where does grief maybe play a role or, you know, just acknowledging sadness around something that's not as fleshed out, like a shorter relationship or um, breakup? Yeah. I don't think that um, the length of a relationship has anything at all to do with its importance or its impact on us whatsoever. I think that there are people that come into our lives that ignite this flame within us that can bring us alive, that can make us feel whole, cared for, validated, loved. Mm -hmm. And it may be just to do that. And that may be its only purpose. It can be there to maybe show a mirror to us right? To show us all the things we actually still have to work on. And that doesn't mean that it is not important. That means really quite the opposite. Um, And hopefully we take away something from that. Now grief comes in because what will probably come up is failure and abandonment. Mm -hmm. And those are two things that come up a lot with grieving a relationship, no matter really, I guess what the length is, but I would say, especially with shorter ones, right? Because now we've we're grieving something that could have been, and we're and now we're grieving this person who we think abandoned us. And now we have to relive all of those childhood wounds all over again. <laughs> wow, that's so exciting! I can't wait, you know. But um, but that that plays a really big part, you know. And so if and I always say that's when we need to take the time to really self reflect and really say, okay. So this is a pattern. This has happened a bunch of times. I'm grieving this again. This person totally disappeared on me. I feel completely abandoned. It must be me. Or, you know, why does this keep happening to me? And this is where I say, please don't jump into anything else. Let's actually take the time to explore those questions. Because otherwise, you are going to be playing leapfrog to to relationship to relationship, carrying this around with you and never really believing that you're going to get the love you so long for, because now you've got this history in your head. And that's why I say what we what we think we are going to attract, we do attract. And that's not some woo thing. That's our unconscious and subconscious playing itself out. And I think, you know, if you're somebody who likes to do hookups after something like this, whether physical or emotional, don't, don't do it. It just actually blurs all of that and it makes it 10 times worse. Yeah, it's, it's helpful to hear because I feel like everyone has been in that position where they've talked themselves into like a hookup. I love that you say an emotional hookup because like we you said that phrase and I was like yeah (laughs) like it it, I feel like everyone's had a moment where they talk themselves into that being a good idea an emotional or physical hookup or a series of physical hookups or like and you know I'm all for and we're all about like you know sex positive like lifestyle if you want to be having a lot of sex and like fuck yeah I have had those moments myself but I've had them like healthfully and unhealthily I think and uh you can I think you really know when it's self-medicating. Yeah. I've known when it's like, I'm having fun. Like I've, you know, whatever. Or when it's like, I need to feel wanted. I need to feel validated. I need to feel pretty. I need to feel worth, you know, like it's, it's very, it's been very clear to me um, when that's the case. And it's, 
helpful to hear someone just be like, don't do it. <laughs> someone who's a professional. I think that I think that almost 100% of the time, there becomes some sort of expectation, whether it's hearing from the person again, seeing the person again, or wanting more in some way. Even when we say that's not the case, it's one almost, I'll say 99.9% of the time, <laughs> we're looking for something else. That validation doesn't last. What is it? Does it last 10 minutes? And then you're looking for more. So no matter what it is, and, and you're not like getting one up on the, on the person who's hurt you. There's no part of that. What you're actually doing is you're just, well, I mean, you're trying to reconnect with something that's not there. Yeah. And it is just self-medicating. And I think this is the time that you go inward, you detox, you self-reflect, you, you do the work, whether it's more self-compassion, whether it's really, really looking at your shit, and then you can go forth. Like, I'm all about the hookups, but not at that particular time. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Liza. No, <laughs> not at all. You are absolutely correct. This was like maybe 10 or 11 years ago. I feel oh, like good. now, in hindsight, I'm very like, that wasn't the best. Um, but speaking of that, that moment that you're talking about, let's say you take a step back. You get off the apps, you stop the physical and emotional hookups, you really, really, really do the work, try to reconnect, try to understand your patterns. What about the moment of jumping back in? Like, I feel like this is another thing listeners ask a lot. Basically, like, I think I'm ready. I've done a lot of work. I feel in a better place, but I'm not feeling 100% confident. Am I actually ready? Like, basically, do you have a, a feeling on how... Um, how much you should have to push yourself out of your comfort zone or how much you should have to um, encourage yourself to get back into dating after you've um, dealt with something traumatic or after you've um, after you're in the process of grieving the end of a previous relationship, even if it wasn't a traumatic one? Yeah, I mean, look, I don't think time and self-reflection alone you know, does the trick, but I do think that if you can, now this is, I'll sort of split it up, but I guess somebody who's coming out of a relationship that was abusive, et cetera. And you've now, you've done the work that you've just, um, just outlined. And there's not that reactivity anymore. When you think about that relationship, there isn't that heaviness. There aren't those quote unquote stages of grief where you're sort of ruminating, bargaining, thinking about, you know, having to deny it, all of that stuff. Then I think that that's a great time then I think that you are ready to pursue it. Now, not everybody will be in this place where they're like, I am thinking of my abusive ex and I don't have any hard feelings whatsoever. Um, that doesn't always happen. <laughs> but, but if you're not reacting with the physical sensation of I need to get even, I need to, I have this anxiety around that relationship, then that to me is more of a sign that you're ready to go on. Kind of what I was saying in the beginning is also just asking yourself the questions like, what am I doing this for? Am I doing this because I'm immensely lonely and I haven't been without a person now in a long time and I want someone to fill that void? I would say, give it a little extra time. Am I doing this because I want to be validated again? Am I doing this because I'm seeing other people on Instagram, you know, partnered up and now everyone's got someone but me and I'm comparing and despairing? Nope, not, not that's not the right reason either. Am I doing it because I want to be in a healthy partnership? Yes, ding, ding, ding. That's really great. And 
look, we won't always know at first that we're entering a healthy partnership and relational trauma does need to be and should be healed within relationship. So we're not always going to know that we're going into the best thing, but we can certainly go far enough in to see how we feel and go in farther a little bit at a time to see how we feel. And if those red flags come up, if that physical feeling of unease comes up, if the same old familiar patterns come up, we know that this isn't going to be the right time or the right person. But I do think that continuing to question it, what am I doing this for? What kind of relationship am I looking for? What kind of fulfillment in relationship am I looking for? These are questions that I think that everybody should be asking themselves when they're dating because people date and be, and go into relationships for all sorts of reasons and not all of them are healthy. Oh my gosh. It's again, such a good reminder, of course, but just we don't ask ourselves those questions so often in dating. For so long, I think, honestly, this podcast helped me realize, I think I just wanted, I would lament my um, situationships and weird love life and singledom <laughs> just because of some societal expectation. It actually had nothing to do with those years in my life um, that I didn't really want a partner. I, looking back, after some therapy. In fact, a lot of those years, you know, my mom was sick and I was already afraid of losing someone and maybe, you know, anyway, not my Security. therapy session. But yeah, it was I giving myself, letting myself like truly fall in love with someone or uh, un- have another person in my life I could lose. Like in hindsight, yeah, it was just, it was about, you know, when, when grandma asks about if you're dating anyone, you can say, well, I've been seeing people, blah, blah. But anyway, uh, I just think it's such a good reminder to it's, again, sounds simple, so hard, but just to ask ourselves those questions um, and get in touch with ourselves. And that's where therapy can be so yeah, hugely I, important. Yeah. I was just going to say also, I mean, I think, you know, you have the same story so many people have is like my grandmother, the expectations, society, and how many articles have we read now to date where it's like, I could do what I want and I'm independent. Mm-hmm. And yet inside of us, there's that stigma that still exists. And so... I kind of think of it as practicing again, right? The sort of practicing saying my mom is dead. Mm -hmm. Oof. I had to say that to a hostess in a restaurant once. Why do I want that table? My mom is dead. (laughs) My mom just died, you know? And so that was like a week after. But, you know, all that really to say is that we have to keep practicing all of this because there's so many more people that feel this shame that shouldn't. And that go into things for all the wrong reasons and wind up more and more and more hurt than they ever would be if they honestly just lived the life that they want to be living, whatever that looks like. And especially independently, because when we are whole, we bring so much more to the relationship and who we attract is then more whole because we're not going to be looking for those damaged people that can fill something and they won't be looking for people to fill for them. And we need more of that. Yeah. Oh, my next question. I feel like you almost just answered it, but I I will ask it anyways. So I know you're writing a book. Congratulations. And that you are. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, And that you were, you mentioned a chapter on dating as it relates to to grief and or trauma. I'm curious kind of what, if you could, we like to ask sometimes, you know, if you could wave a magic wand and just have people know this one thing about dating or but for you specifically, if there's something like you could just magically have everyone understand about grief and or trauma as it relates to dating, what would that be? Like 
through all your experiences, and I know grief and trauma look so different, but is there something like, it's kind of a tricky question again, but just what's like the nugget that you wish more people understood? Oof, this is a hard one. It is. We didn't like really give you this in advance. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's totally I'm okay. The worst. But I would say, I mean, if if I could say one thing about people who are grieving or going through trauma and also trying to enter a relationship is really give yourself the permission to be how you are mm -hmm. at any given moment. And that means feel the feelings. That means get up and go to the bathroom if you have to and cry. That means say no. That means cancel when you need to. That means don't text back when you don't feel like it. That means ask for what you need or, you know, or ask to be alone, whatever that may be. And I think we need more reminders that we have the permission to be ourselves at any given moment. And that is really fucking okay. Yeah. The end. <laughs> yeah. It's really uh, fucking okay to be yourself. Put it on a t-shirt. Ah. It's, <laughs> it's so, it's so made. It's, I feel like it's, so much of my many years in therapy like have boiled down to that is like it's actually okay to be where you are you don't have to you know be what other what you guess that other people expect you to be um but it's uh yeah being close to you know friends or my partner as as they've been dealing with losses like I feel like that's this this is gonna sound dark I feel more equipped to go into it with that because I've seen people um, be able to gracefully just be like, I feel horrible, you know, like, like it's, and it's, uh, Amen. it's powerful and it's uh, strong and it's, yeah. Um, but I, I think it's also very applicable to everybody dating. Even if you're not going through trauma, you're not going through grief, you're not, you know, um, in any kind of particular like bad place. I think it's always a good reminder to just yeah you can just be where you're at and and that's fine and if they're cool they will meet you there and be fine with it absolutely absolutely i couldn't say that better it really is universal and we need more people that can start to accept themselves and have compassion for all of the experiences and pain that they've been through because not everybody has been through maybe a specific grief or a specific trauma but they may have a lot of anxiety or may feel really different or may feel really unlovable and not really know why. And that's really important to note too, that it's really okay for you to just be who you are. And that even if, you know, you wind up being alone for a little while to surround yourself with other people who care and redefine what love looks like to you, because love doesn't have to come from just a romantic partner. And we have to really see that these days, you know, love can come from all different sorts of resources and, and wellsprings. And, and that sometimes is even better. Yeah. The friendship love, like it, it, when it's great, it's so good. It's so great. It's, you know, I, yeah, we need more, more focus on friendship love. I think um, it's not the most eloquent phrase to describe it, but just friendship, I guess. I like it. <laughs> friendship, love. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's just us being able to redefine what love looks like to us, no matter what it is we're going through or what we've experienced, and have that be okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, 
Gina, this has been so lovely and you've had, you know, you've been so generous with your time today with us. Um, I am so grateful we got to have you on. Thank you so much Me for too. coming on. Me too. This was so wonderful. You two are the best. I hope that you just grow and grow and grow. Uh, and I look forward to our future connections together. Yes. And on Thank that so note, much. I can't wait to read your book. I know. Oh, Kimmy oh and I were just going to say the exact same thing. We were. But tell us, uh, tell everyone where they can find you, where they can follow you, all of your stuff. Sure, sure. Um, well, on the Instagram, um, I am at Gina Maffa LCSW. You can also visit me at my website. It is www.ginamaffa.com. Um, and I think that's all I have right now. <laughs> I, think, I think that's enough right now. I, I haven't really gotten to Twitter because the word limits really aren't good for me. Twitter's <laughs> so hard. But yes, we will link those. Gina has an excellent Instagram full of the great reminders of the kinds of things we just spoke about. And yeah, just sweet. we're going to very sweet that. of you. Yes. No, I mean it though. You don't always say that. Um, okay. Not that we're monsters. We love all our guests. Okay. Whoa. All the disclaimers. Gina, thank you so much for being here with us. This was fabulous. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. Um, we are so grateful for all of you, Gina, and all of you this week as well. Thank you, Kimmy and Liza.